Now boarding our first class ultra gold passengers. Welcome into Other People's Shoes, the podcast that takes you on an extraordinary journey through the lives of others where empathy knows no bounds. Your host, Neil Matthews, is absolutely thrilled that you're here. Please take your seat as we're about to take flight into season 16. Be sure to hold on tight because take flight isn't just about the skies above. It's about the depths within. We'll dive headfirst into the stories of those who faced turbulence and yet found the strength to rise above it all. So grab your headphones and get ready to soar with us as we launch into season 16. Thank you for flying with us. Buckle up and let's take flight. That is right. We are back in the cockpit today. Welcome in to other people's shoes. I'm your host, Neil Matthews, your pilot for today's flight. It still seems weird. I, I don't know. We got to work that out. I don't know what research was thinking. I don't know what the team was thinking when we talk about taking flight. When I think about flight and I think about flying, which I flew back not only in November of last year, so flew in December of last year. And I'll tell you both times was very scary for me. I needed my support panda. Uh, is that a thing? Can you can you have those on planes? Because I'm hearing rumors that we're not going to have pandas in the United States anymore, which is mind-boggling to me because I love pandas. Felt like I needed my panda. For those that have listened to the show long enough, you know I was obsessed with a childhood stuffed animal panda. Needed to find my real grit and grind and really my spiritual awakening maybe to have some support because I don't like to fly. I don't know what we were thinking when we called this season Take Flight, but here we are and I know you're here today and I'm excited that you're here today. I'm excited that you're taking this flight with us. So join me as I welcome in my new friend, Danielle. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? Now, we didn't talk about this in the green room. Where are you at geographically? Geographically, I live in Florida, but I'm originally from Southern California. Okay. So you do have some Orange County, San Diego County roots. I do. I am Orange County at heart. I was raised, I was born and raised there. I lived there for 30 years before the military decided to move us. So are you like in the Pensacola area? No, I'm in the Tampa area. Oh, Tampa. Oh, no. But I, I didn't go straight to Tampa. I went from Orange County, California to Enterprise, Alabama, which is where the world's largest statue of a bug called the Bull Weevil lived there for a year and a half before I went to Tampa. I don't even know how to come back <laughs> from the Bull Weevil. If I even said it right, I don't, I don't the even know. I feel like it's I a did. very, very, very small town in Southern Alabama. So it was definitely a culture shock going from Orange County beaches to Southern Alabama. But now you're in, now I'm in the beautiful metropolis of Tampa, mm -hmm. which is amazing. And there's gorgeous beaches there, I would imagine. Yes, the beaches here are absolutely gorgeous. But I have to be honest, I'm really sorry, Floridians. I miss Laguna Beach. I think the beaches there are absolutely beautiful with the waves crashing against the cliffs. I prefer the West Coast beaches. I know that's not popular opinion, but that's fine. You might lose your Florida card. That's okay. <laughs> All right. See, I grew up in Oceanside, oh, California. Oh, yeah, we grew up very close. So I grew up in Camp Pendleton. My dad is a former Marine. We were down there forever, it feels like, but really it was only like six short years. Felt like forever. I was even born in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Yes, I drank the water. Stop asking me. Everyone asks me all the time as soon as I said, so you drank the water? Did you drink the water? Did you get tested? Have you gotten tested? Yeah. 
Yeah, this is probably why I'm a little quirky <laughs> is because I drank the water. Well, that's awesome. You have a family, you have your husband, you have all this stuff going for you down in Tampa. That sounds like just a sweet time. I would imagine you've also been interviewed by a number of folks through the years too. Yes, I've been interviewed on several podcasts in magazines. I I enjoy podcasting actually as well. I enjoy hosting because it's just the conversations that you get to have with people all over the world that you may not be able to meet in, in everyday life. So in all those interviews, has anyone ever asked you what style of shoe you like to wear? Ooh, I don't think so. I did have a random person ask me on social media, but it was a little creepy the way they asked. Well, I'm not asking in a creepy way because we always ask at the beginning of the show, what style of shoe do ladies like to wear? So would you help us with that if you wouldn't mind? Okay, so I am going to say two. I love to get dressed up and I love the style of a Christian Louis Vuitton. They're incredibly uncomfortable. More often than not, you will find me in sneakers. And is there a brand of sneaker that you like? We're always trying to, Ooh. you know, covet those sneaker dollars, those sneaker yeah. sponsorship dollars. So help us with that. No, I don't discriminate on sneakers. Whatever is cute, comfortable, it just kind of goes with whatever. I just got a pair of Nikes, but I've also got some off-brand whatever's off, <laughs> off Amazon. So I'm a sneaker nut. That is also maybe part of the reason why we got our name is my wife was saying, you know, when we're naming it, she said, well, you know, we're talking about empathy. We're talking about different perspectives. And she said, why don't, why don't we call it like other people's shoes? That seems fun because you have a lot of shoes. And I was like, I do have a lot of shoes. And I just got another pair of shoes. And so I'm I'm really excited about wearing them. Do you keep them in the box? This is my question for you. So there is one pair of shoe that lives in the box permanently. Right now it's been permanently, it feels like. I bought them just strictly for running 5Ks. So I used to run and race 5Ks. And so they were called racing flats. And so they literally just stay in the box until I need them on race day. Oh. Oh, okay. But I haven't raced in a long time. <laughs> Three years, I think. Something like that. Yeah, it's been a minute. So getting into you and getting into to what you're about, when we talk about this idea of taking flight, now, for some, they've not really liked it, like me even, as I mentioned in kind of our little weird monologue. It's weird to think about flying. It's weird to even think about metaphorically even taking flight. Agreed. But for you, has there been that moment or maybe a couple of moments that has catapulted you into into this stratosphere? And if so, tell us about that. Well, I share in the uncomfortableness of flying. I really don't like to fly, even though one year when I was living in Alabama, I was on a plane. I spent 250 nights on the road. So even though I don't like flying, I, I share that in <laughs> not liking it as well. My job requires me to fly. In, in 2020, and I'm sure like many of us out there, that was a very pivotal year that changed my life. My husband had, in, in January 26, he had just come home from serving a deployment in Iraq for a year. And when he came home, a lot of people will ask me, what was the what's the hardest thing about being a military spouse? And was it hard when they were deployed? And I said, yes, it's hard when they're deployed because you miss them, but you kind of get caught in the rhythm of life and you just find a way to push forward. What I didn't anticipate was the challenges of when they come home and reintegrating into the home life, society, being a civilian, the fact that I'm a different person when they come back, he was a different person when he came back and navigating through it. When he deployed, our twin boys at the time were one and a half years old. So they were just learning to walk. They were still in cribs. They were learning how to eat. And now he comes back and they're two and a half. They're in toddler beds. They're having full-blown conversations. It was a big transition. And we were really happy that he was home. But I think that was one of the challenges that 
kind of kicked off the year. So we got home January 26th, March 8th. I lost my mom. My mom had passed away and she had passed away tragically to suicide. So it was very, very unexpected. As I'm trying to even process the shock and anger of what had taken place, March 13th is when the world had shut down with the pandemic. Here I am trying to trying to plan the celebration of her life, trying to fly out to California, and I can't even get on a plane. The pandemic had shut everything down. And there was the uncertainty of the pandemic and how long is this going to last? Is there going to be any more toilet paper ever for many of us? Also, my kids, my twin boys, they were premature and they're immune compromised. So there was a lot of fear for us and the unknown. This is a respiratory virus and my kids were immune compromised. We're doing breathing treatments on the regular just for the common cold, let alone if it was COVID. And then after that, as we're navigating through the uncertainty of the pandemic and how long this is going to last, my husband reintegrating into the civilian world, the company that I was with for seven years got acquired and it became a very, very toxic work culture. It ended up being that people had been with the organization for 25, 30 years, ended up leaving. And and I decided to leave as well. It was a six month period where I felt like my life had completely shattered. Everything that I knew of my life was just gone. And I felt lost and confused. I was having panic attacks. And it was a moment of uncertainty and and a lot of change that made me really reevaluate and take a pause and evaluate who I am, what do I want to be, and what do I want this next chapter of my life. Kind of circling in and fast forwarding where it's gone to today is within three years, I ended up leaving corporate, starting a business, hosting a globally top rated podcast, Unstoppable Grit, wrote a book, and now I do speaking full time. It's been a scary journey. It's been a lot of trials and tribulations. It's been an incredible journey. Anything, I feel like everything happens for a reason. If that door of being in that toxic work environment, if I had stayed there, I would have never known what is possible and where I'm at today and how much happier I am, mainly because my impact gets to be greater in reaching the people that I get to communicate with to help inspire and empower them. Wow. That's a crazy span of really six months. It was a lot. It almost kind of parallels a little bit of Job, that guy from the Bible that everyone likes to throw rocks at. You know, your life is bad, but it's not as bad as Job's. But that's pretty bad. Forgot right before my husband had gotten home, his base was in Iraq. His base got hit by 13 missiles in one day. So it was just like this like fear. Is my husband going to come home to happiness, to his home, then to losing my mom, then to the uncertainty of the pandemic, then the leaving the company? It was just, it was a lot. But I truly believe that the challenges we go through, they shape us into who we are and what we're meant to be tomorrow. I had a guest back way back in November. Her name's Hannah. And she has this phrase that is haunting haunting me even to this moment. And she says, you can do hard things. Her mom used to tell her as a kid, you can do hard things. Hannah, you can do hard things. Hannah, I don't like that phrase. I don't want to do hard things. I don't. I don't know anyone that, that I know virtually or even in real life that raises their hand and says, you know what, Neil, right here, this guy. Yeah, I want to do hard things. I don't want to run up a hill when I'm running. I don't want to get sick because let me tell you, man flu, nobody wants that. There's a video <laughs> on the man cold, yes. I don't like hard things. I want things to be easy. I want things to be a Hallmark movie. I want things to be, ah, you were talking about the ocean. I want it to be there. That is my, my most peaceful place to get to is the ocean. 
section. I love the sound. Not a fan of the, the sand, but I love the sound. I don't like getting my shoes dirty. I don't want to do hard things. So to kind of steal from Hannah a little bit, Daniel, why do you think you're able to do hard things? You were able to accomplish the things that you were able to accomplish. Because let me tell you right now, I bet you there's some ladies listening right now that was like, I'd be in my pajamas. I'd be in a bathrobe. I'd be eating some ice cream under the blankets, crying my eyes out. Okay, well, let's let's get one myth just out right now. <laughs> okay. I was in my pajamas <laughs> crying. I was having panic attacks and feeling like I couldn't breathe. I had all of those. Anytime that you're going through major changes, your body goes through, there's about five different steps. It's called the five steps of grief. You can also apply it to the five steps of adapting to change and uncertainty. And that is feelings of shock. How could this be happening to me? Then there's the anger. of Why is this happening to me? Then there's the bargaining of, well, what if I would have done something differently? The bargaining especially for my mom. What if I called her the night before? What if my mom and I had an estranged relationship? What if I repaired it? Would she still be here today? So you've got the shock, the anger, the denial, the bargaining. And then you finally get to a point when you're able to process each of those steps where you get to the acceptance. And the acceptance is you can't change the past. You can rewrite the future. You can look at things from a different perspective. You can find a way to take life one day at a time. And I'm not saying you're not going to feel pain or discouragement or frustration or anger when you're going through hardship. You find a way to move forward. I don't like to go through hardship, but I look back at the times that I have gone through hardship and I believe that it does shape you into the person that you are. And every time that you go through a challenge, you become that much stronger and you're able to handle the next challenge that comes along. And I think that one of the biggest ways that I've been able to overcome some of these experiences is I refuse to let hardship and situations define who I am. I look at it as how can I learn and grow and be a better person? That sounds good in theory. Mm -hmm. It sounds good. Practically speaking, what is a real good step that you can say, you know, I had to do kind of step one, had to get this nailed down. Step two, take us to like three or four steps, if you're willing, of how you accomplish that. It's not easy and it's not all rosy along the way. The first step that I took was to sit down into a quiet room and write down all of the emotions that I was feeling at the time. Anger, shock, frustration, denial, uncertainty devastation, every emotion that I was feeling. When we're able to put words to our emotions, it helps us process our emotions. So the first step was to put words to my emotions. How do I want to show up in the world. I felt like my life had just been flipped upside down and I felt lost and confused and I didn't know who I was. And I looked myself in the mirror and I said, who am I? I had tied so much of who I was to my career, my success, my job title. I was a former Fortune 500 senior sales manager. I had led a team to number one. So I tied a lot of my identity to my income, my title, my awards that I had earned. I had posted a comment on Facebook and I said, if 
I've impacted your life in a positive way, please describe how. And then a couple weeks later, I said, if you used one word to describe me, what would it be? And I took all of that information. I wrote my own obituary. I wanted to figure out at the end of the day, what's the legacy that I want to leave? So I wrote an obituary from the perspective of my family. And I wrote an obituary from the perspective of my colleagues, the people that I would be working with in a professional environment. And I used the words that people use to describe me. And I wrote this obituary. And it's my way of always looking back and saying, every decision that I'm making, is it in an alignment with the type of legacy that I want to leave behind? And ultimately, what came out of that exercise was one of my core values is impact. I want to make a positive impact in the people that I interact with on a day-to-day basis. Maybe it's somebody walking into the door of a Starbucks and their head is down and you just open the door and you just smile at them, just giving the hope and reassurance that there's joy out there. Maybe it's standing on stage and giving people the hope and inspiration that they can conquer challenges with unstoppable grit comes down to impact. And when I started to go through that obituary exercise, I started to shift my perspective on what success looks like. And that helped me put a new identity and more importantly, a new purpose and passion to what I was doing. When you have a purpose and when you have passion, that's what helps you get through those challenging times. That's what helps give you the hope and inspiration to move forward and the motivation to move forward. Without purpose, you're going to continue to feel lost. I love that idea. I really do. The idea and the exercise of getting quiet and getting still, there is so much power in that because I feel like there's so many distractions in this world and there's so many things that pull us away. And you and I are both wearing headphones right now. I took that on as a kind of a serious thing. I I bought a charm off eBay because I'm a big eBay shopper. This charm and on the charm, it's a set of headphones. For the longest time, my dad thought it was one of those that you put in between your septum. I'm like, no, dad, it's it's headphones. He said, well, why do you have why do you have headphones as a charm on your necklace? That just seems not manly. Again, Marine mind here. I said, well, dad, I said, when I'm when I have headphones on, I said, I'm I'm actively listening. I said, it reminds me every time I put it on or every time I look at it or every time I grab it to move it around or to maybe put it in my shirt or take it out of my shirt or I'm taking my sweatshirt off every time I touch it. It reminds me that I need to listen twice as much as I'm talking. And he goes, that's pretty smart. I probably told you that when you were growing up, right? (laughs) I was like, yeah, dad, sure. You can take credit for that. It's fine. When I'm editing, even editing the show, my eyes and my ears are so engaged into what I'm doing. Not so much my eyes, but my ears are because I'm actively listening. I'm intently listening because I'm trying to find what I need to take out, what I need to get rid of. And I told that to a guy at church one day and he said, man, that sounds spiritual. I'm like, editing is not spiritual, (laughs) but I sure as heck would love it if Jesus just took over and took the, (laughs) took the reins there. I love what you're saying there, because I think the idea of trying to get quiet, trying to get still is, is such a skill that a lot of people don't possess. And I think if more people did, our world might be just a little bit better. What is grit to you? How do you define it? We could get Marion Webster involved. What's Danielle's definition of grit? Yeah. So Angela Duckworth is kind of the one that created this grit. She's got a big TED talk. It's passion and purpose towards long-term goals. I believe that it's passion and purpose, but it's also when dedication takes action. And when setbacks occur, it's a perseverance to move forward. You can have passion and purpose. What happens when setbacks happen? What happens when you're faced with challenges? It's when you take action, that's when you achieve the types of goals that you want to achieve. I know a lot of people that have passion, they have purpose, but they get 
continue to get stuck because they don't take action. And that's where I believe that missing link is when it comes to grit. I was trying to come up with a cool acronym for grit. I'm stuck on the T. I have grounded rightly, intentionally, and then the T I'm stuck on. And I thought like touching, but that seems weird because sometimes people don't want to be touched. So I don't know. We'll have to come back to the T. Maybe timely. I don't know how all those fit together, but I was trying on the fly just to come hey, up with that was pretty cool. good right on the fly. In life, much like in flying, we're going to encounter turbulence. I've never been on a plane too much with turbulence. I have thrown up on a plane once. That's another story for another time. Cast Away, one of my favorite movies. In that, there's a lot of turbulence. There's a lot of things that happen on an airplane that can cause a plane to go down. Now, you could have easily, in your pajamas, in your bathrobe, in your crying, with all the stuff that was going on with you, you could have easily quit. You could have quit on your family. You could have quit on your kids. You could have you could have just locked yourself away. It's amazing that you haven't, by the way. So I applaud that. Why didn't you quit? That's a good question. The reason why I didn't quit is, again, I, I don't want situations to define who I am. I don't want to be the victim to a situation. I hold the power as to what the future is going to look like. And I'm a mom to twin boys who look to me as their role model. So yes, there were moments where I would cry and I would hold them and, and they were so sweet. They know me well enough to know that when I'm having a rough day, my, so cute, one of my boys will come in, one of them will go pick out flowers from the outside garden. And my other one will be like, mommy, do you want me to turn on the fireplace on the TV? Because we live in Florida. It's hot. And I'm from California. I love having a fireplace. And since we don't have one, I will go in and turn on YouTube or my TV and I'll put a fireplace on the TV and I will light a candle and play Christmas music. I don't care what time of year it is. I will be playing Christmas music all year round. And especially if I'm having just those rough days, there's definitely those moments where my kids will know it. Here I look at them and I'm teaching them how to ride a bike and I'm teaching them that at the end of the day, you're going to fall and you're going to fail. What I care about the most is that you continue to try, that you continue to get back up on that bike. And if I'm not being the role model for my kids, then they're never going to learn that lesson. So that was the motivation to also keep going forward. You're raising boys into men. Yes, I made a 90s reference there, boys <laughs> to men, for those that caught it. Got it. Bad when I have to re-say it. It's probably not as funny. What do you hope that they see in you that they maybe then go after in a wife, in a life partner? I hope that they find somebody that loves them unconditionally, that they love unconditionally, that will be there by their side every step of the way. Because I remember the moments where I just, I felt like I couldn't move forward. It's so important to have somebody in your corner that believes in you. My husband's always been supportive. He's always believed in me more than I've believed in myself. So in the beginning, like the first year of me starting my business, that first big transition, he would look at me and he'd be like, you got this, you can go for it. And I remember there'd be times where I'd say, I just had this big breakthrough in my business. And he goes, well, why are you surprised by it? You've always been able to do that. So it was important that he was able to see things in me before I was able to see it in myself. And I hope that they find a partner that does the same. And then the other thing is, is, and this is something that I'm doing right now. My husband's still in the military. He's a reservist. So one week in a month he has, it's called drill. He goes down to the base and he's a Blackhawk pilot. So he flies. On those weekends, my boys and I go on a date night. They're used to seeing me get dressed up in a ball gown for the military ball and they always wanted to go. So I get dressed up in a ball gown. They get to pick 
pick out the dress and they wear their little suits and ties and then their vest, their three-point suit, and we go on a date night. And I hope that by doing those activities together, that they get to see what it's like to just be loved and to have somebody by your side and to enjoy life to its fullest. And it's about the quality of relationships. Sounds like you're raising some really amazing young men. I hope so. Soon to be, right? I want to say I always do a good job. These are kind of the moments of good. Let's pump the brakes. They're not men yet. No. That's awesome. Have you ever done any research on what your name means? I have, but I forget. I looked it up just really quick. This is just from a baby website, babynames.com, I think it is, or babycreation.com. I don't know. Trying to give credit where credit's due. God is my judge. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember I had something with God. Yeah, because ultimately he is a judge of me. What do you think he's going to say? You talk about writing this obituary. You talk about this legacy. Now, I'm a person of faith and you told me in the yep. in the pre-flight show, not calling it a green room this season, we're calling it pre-flight. So pre-boarding even, you told me that you're a person of faith as well. Now, there's a part in the Bible for those that are faith people. They know this. It's pretty famous. We want to hear at the end of our days, well done, my good and faithful servant. That'd be amazing to hear. What would that mean to you if you heard that from him? That I was being obedient to his guidance, that I actually took a step back and listened I believe that God speaks to us in different ways. Some people, they say they hear God. Some people, they say they see God. For me, he shows me. So every time that I was, when I was kind of looking at where did I want this next step in my career to be, I go to apply for a job. And for some reason, it just didn't work out. It just wasn't an alignment. It felt like that door was shutting. Then I would get some movement in the business that I was starting. Maybe a new client would be brought on. Maybe a new speaking opportunity would come up. And each night I would pray to God and I would say, God, open the door you want me to work, walk through and close the doors to redirect me to something greater. And he continued to show me every single step of the way, like a door would be shutting. And then the next day, that night I'd pray and the next day something else would happen. My hope is that when I get to that point where he's judging me and saying, you gave your life. I've always been a Christian. On October 16th, 2022, I was baptized. You talk about how you have headphones on your charm. I just got a tattoo to celebrate the one year anniversary and it says Rise Up. And it's a song by Ben Fuller and the song is Wide Awake. And he says, I had no idea I was feeling lost and confused. You took the key to my skeleton heart and you told me to rise up. So this is my reminder, rise up, listen to what God's purpose is for you and to follow his direction. And when you do, when you live your life in the spirit of God and not in the flesh of what we want, that's when life is prosperous. That's when we're being obedient to God. That's when we get to be in service. Ben song. Oh, it's a great song. Ben Fuller, Wide Awake. So here's the thing, going going along with our theme that we're walking through here. The idea of getting on a plane, I think, is still terrifying to some. The idea of even getting to the airport with your bags packed, taxis waiting outside your doors, going to take you to the airport. The idea of standing in line, going through security, finally getting on the plane, sitting down in your seat, buckling it, and you're like, okay, now what? And the panic starts to set in. I bet you there's men out there and even women who have said, you know what? I'm not even going to buy a ticket. I'll figure out another way to get there. And they've been going through this long, tumultuous, windy route. Cars may be breaking down every now and then. And they're like, you know what? I just wish I could get to this quote unquote destination.
destination faster. There's got to be a faster way. But they're like, I can't do that. I can't get on that plane. I won't. They're stuck in fear. Mm -hmm. They're paralyzed maybe even by it. I have a young lady in my life will every now and then have a moment where she just can't be around people. It's too much. She feels like she doesn't add value to the conversation. She feels like, why would they even want to talk to me? I mean, look at me. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I, I don't know enough. I didn't go to the right school. I don't have the right whatever. And she comes up with all these reasons why she can't be a part of that thing. And it drives me crazy, <laughs> candidly. I mean, it drives me absolutely bonkers because I'm not that way. And so for me to think about somebody not being like that, I'm like, it's simple. Just walk through the door. Not that simple, is it? No, it's not that simple. And in fact, I can relate a lot to what she's saying. I have that inner critic. I asked people, I said, who do you have living rent free in your mind that is creating fear? That fear is false evidence appearing real. I experience this and I have clients that experience this and we talk about when they start to say things, well, I'm not smart enough to go for that promotion, or I'm not pretty enough to go for that particular person that maybe I want to pursue. I say, who's living rent-free in your mind? And is that something you think or you know? More often than not, it's something that we think. Where is that coming from? Our most formidable years are between the ages of zero and eight. So when we look back and we have these inner critics, that imposter syndrome, I know it's kind of a buzzword, but when we start to believe that we can't do something, what possibly happened in our childhood that is triggering it? Or maybe in a past relationship or former manager that triggers that self-doubt. For me, it stems from my mom and I kind of had a, a challenging relationship growing up. And then I remember there was a time where I was at, I was meeting with the school counselor. My mom and I had just kind of had an argument that became physical and I ended up leaving my house when I was 17 years old and living with some friends. And I remember when one of the days I met with the school counselor and she said, if you don't go back and live with your mom, you're never going to amount to anything in life. This is a school counselor. When I think back and I have that self-doubt and that inner critic, I think of where is it coming from? That is where it's coming from. And I can either use it in saying, I believe that person, she knows better. Or I can say, well, that's your perception. Then also, where is that coming from, from her? Does she believe that about herself? And is she projecting that onto me? Because I don't believe that about myself. We get to write our own story. I think it's important to understand that first, all of us have at some point or another an inner critic that that is just in our ear. It's like a pesky mosquito just come, just buzzing there, or a little a little person that sits on our shoulder that says you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you can't do this, you can't go for that promotion, that job, particular person you have a crush on, whatever it is. But ask yourself where is it coming from, and truly, is that something you believe, or can you say get off my shoulder? You're a little liar you're done and like squash it. So how did you get rid of that inner critic? Or is it still there? It's still there. Yeah, okay. It's still there. There's really no way to get rid of it. There's just maybe a way to turn the volume down. I'm sure maybe there are some people that have completely gotten rid of their inner critic. Even the most successful people that are out there, the people that speak on confidence experience self-doubt. The difference is, I would say, when I experience self-doubt, I'm very in tune to what's going on. So I have a high level of self-awareness about it now. So I'm able to say, gosh, I'm feeling anxious right now. Anxious will typically be my shoulders a little raised 
days. I feel a little tense. My stomach is feels like there's butterflies in my stomach or I have a stomach ache one way or another. Or maybe I'm a little shaky. And why am I feeling anxious right now? And then I sit back and go, okay, how am I feeling? What are my emotions that I'm feeling right now? What's triggering it? Is it because I'm about to take a big risk and I'm a little scared? Is it because I'm about ready to step outside my comfort zone? And it's a little uncomfortable. When I identify the trigger of it, then I say, okay, well, what steps can I take to rebuild my confidence? Maybe it's developing a new skill set. Maybe it's reaching out to a friend or my spouse and saying, hey, I am, I'm doubting myself right now. I just need a pep talk. To think that it completely goes away. If you think that you've completely muted that self-doubt, I think my question to you would be, are you taking enough risks in life? Yeah. And that's the key mm -hmm. is there has to be that risk reward. At the same time, I hope that people hear you say that, that sometimes it does take that fortitude to say, okay, kind of enough's enough. A breaking point to say, today's the day it starts. Today's the day I rise. Mm -hmm. Today's the day I'm, I'm done being dead. I'm ready to rise. I'm ready to put it behind me. Because last time I checked, there's no DeLorean sitting in people's driveways anymore. They can't go back in time. They can't change that. So speaking of going back in time, if you could go back to a 13-year-old you, would she, one, recognize who you are, and two, what counsel would you give her? No, she would not recognize who I am because <laughs> at 13 years old... Let's just paint the picture of what 13 yeah, I was, years old I was going like to ask, but I didn't know how to ask that without sounding again creepy. Okay, so the 13-year-old me was super thick glasses, like Coke bottle thick glasses. My mom was very strict. So at 13 years old, it was no makeup. No, I wasn't allowed to wear jewelry. I wasn't allowed to get my ears pierced till I was 13. At 13 year olds, I remember, oh, it was, that was the age that this boy told me. He would go around the school and he would say, Danielle, body of a goddess face from hell. Yeah harsh. So when people look at me today and they go, oh, you're so pretty and you're so confident. I'm like, yes, it did not always start this way. I was teased a lot growing up, a lot. I was insecure and I had braces. I doubted myself a lot and I didn't get good grades. My mom was bipolar and this is a time for another episode. My mom kidnapped me when I was two years old from my dad. So I grew up thinking that my dad chose another family. I grew up thinking that he didn't want me. So I had a lot lot of issues internally with feeling like I wasn't worthy enough of love. And all of that plagued me for a big portion of my life. And I've had to do a lot of work to get to the point where I'm at right now. A lot of therapy. I ended up studying psychology in, in college. A lot of personal growth and self-development to get to where I'm at today. So I don't believe my 13-year-old self would look at me and go, this is who I'm going to turn out to be. I do believe that if my 13-year-old self can look at me sitting across from a chair, they'd say that there's hope and that you can change things. I love that question. Came up with it one day. I thought, you know what? Somebody's got to look back and see the progress and see the hurt that they've walked through and been able to you know, push themselves through in some respects. I mean, I've had people cry at that question. No, no expectation, by the way, on that. I wonder about this. Again, you talk about being a person of faith and being baptized, and, and that's a big part of who you are, and it's a big part of who I am, too. My dad and I weren't tight growing up. He was always gone. You know, again, being a Marine, they were seldom home, and if they were home, they weren't really there emotionally. Mm -hmm. They were kind of checked out because they were back, had just come from. How did that affect your relationship with 
with God the Father. Was that an easy thing for you or was that kind of a difficult thing? Because again, you didn't have that kind of father figure in your life. I believe it was difficult. A lot of my upbringing was plagued with this, why me? Why am I not good enough? Why am I not? Why did somebody choose somebody else than me? And then with my mom and I, there was a lot of judgment from my mom, a lot of insecurity from my mom, a lot of manipulation. I just felt very confused growing up for a really long time. Then I also saw in the Bible that there were people had horrendous backgrounds, murderers. I want to be mindful if there's ever kids in the car when what I'm going <laughs> to say, but there's people that have just done some bad things in the Bible. God forgave them and God saw the good in them. And Jesus saw the good in them as well. You think about a lot of his prophets and disciples that followed him. They didn't have the best background. These weren't people that were a hundred percent devoted to God and lived a pure life. A lot of them had some some bad backgrounds. He saw the potential and he saw the good in them and he saw that they could do greater things. That my faith has kind of been also that even though I may not have felt this this unconditional love from my family, I've always felt it from God. If I somehow gave you a weekend with your mom again, would you take it? Yes, absolutely. What would you do and what would you say to her? Oh, I would say, you know, that will give me a little teary-eyed. Um, it's been a couple of years since she passed. I would first tell her that I love her, that I'm sorry that I let... 13 years pass repairing the relationship. And I'd have a lot of questions. Chapter in my book where I go into the story of my mom and I, and it talks about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. And a lot of times forgiveness is not necessarily forgetting what somebody's done or saying that it's okay what they've done. But forgiveness is being empath empathetic to understand someone else's perspective, the choices and why they make it, even if their choices were good or bad, but just trying to understand just a little bit. Forgiveness is, is powerful for you as a person. I think about my entire life and how I was so guarded, fear of being hurt by somebody. I'd spent so much of my life guarded and I wouldn't be vulnerable and I wouldn't be authentic and it'd be hard to get to know me. When I finally learned to forgive my mom, and look at her from a different perspective. My mom, when I was two years old, that's when she took me from my dad. I don't know the reason why. That's definitely like my number one burning question for her. When I was five years old, she was working as a server. She was going to night school to get her bachelor's degree. And she had a five-year-old and she was a single mom. Why she chose that direction, I don't know. But I also saw the good in her that she was trying to create a better life for us. She was the first one to get a college degree in our family. And I was the first one to go straight to college. I started to see her in a different light and see her for the good qualities that she had. And also I started to see that she was doing the best that she could given the upbringing that she had. My grandma had been divorced twice. My mom's stepmom was not nice to my mom. So my mom had a lot of hurt and pain in her own upbringing and she was trying to create a better life for me. There was still some things that kind of got passed on through my mom's parenting and I'm sure there's things that I'm going to pass on through my parenting, but I'm hopeful that I'm doing a better job than the previous generations. I would say I'm sorry. I would say that I love her. I would have a lot of questions. It would be more in that I have questions and I want to just really understand and listen. I think that's powerful because again, sometimes we don't realize what we have until it's gone. Mm -hmm. And then once it's gone, we're like, we're never getting that back again. I'll talk to my husband sometimes. I'll say, what if I had tried to repair things with my mom? Like, Would she still be here today? And my husband looks at me and he goes, you weren't ready. 
And unfortunately, it took losing her and kind of the circumstances that took place within that six months for you to radically shift your life and your perspective that what if isn't going to serve me. I can just look at how I'm going to live a better life. You know, the what if doesn't serve. And the thing I've said for a long time is don't ever have a what if. Then you don't have to worry about it. Really hard not to have a what if sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's really hard not to have the what if. I've really tried hard the last couple of years to really eliminate any kind of what if. I want to make sure that wherever I leave, wherever I go, I've been at peace with that person because you just don't know when that's going to be it. And I think that's the part that I that I struggle with. I don't ever want to go back and say, because I've been there where you go back and you're like, man, I should have called them sooner or I should have sent a text or why didn't I stop by or why didn't I make more time for them? And then they're gone. And now you're like, learn from that lesson. And I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this to me. I had to learn from that lesson and then change those things. So let's talk about something a little more positive. I'm sure you get excited about this, your book. Where can folks go to get that? And why write it? I mean, again, you didn't have to write it. The world could have probably continued to spin and turn and move and without it, but you felt like it needed it. And and why? So why write it? And then where can folks get it? I wrote it because I believe that through a lot of the situations that I've gone through, there's a lot of relatability. I've experienced divorce over 50 percent of our population is divorced. I've I've not only been a child of divorce, I've also gone through a divorce. I've been married to my husband now for going on 11 years. Gone through situations with a toxic work environment. I've been in a management position where I've lost people in the sense of half of my team was laid off in one day. I've overcome postpartum depression. And what I continue to find in the people that I work with, they've experiencing challenges either similar or different. But at the end of the day, they want the tools on how do I move forward. That's what inspired this book. This book was written for everybody who is at some point or another faced a hardship, faced a challenge, and they want the tools to be able to move forward. And so the book is Unstoppable Grit, Break Through the Seven Roadblocks That Are Standing Between You and Achieving Your Goals. There's a lot of stories on how to define success, but on your terms, not society's terms, so that you can live a life of purpose and fulfillment to create a career that you love, to not feel like you're being burnt out all the time trying to juggle the life of a demanding job and kids and family life and everything that we're trying to do on a day-to-day basis and how to become the best versions of ourselves and overcoming that self-doubt and be confident and courageous and resilient. Writing the book, it took me about a year, a little over a year to write the book, dedicated about 20 hours a week writing it. So there's a lot of love that was poured into this book. A lot of tears were poured into this book. I I found that it was therapeutic, but also very hard to write. For the first time in my life, I got very, very vulnerable. And I shared stories that I haven't shared with anybody. In fact, I had to kind of prep my husband going, okay, I haven't told you something and I'm going to be really vulnerable. And hopefully you can just listen and and be supportive, but I'm going to share something with you. And I'm going to share this in the book. If it changes and inspires one person's life, then it's worth it. What'd you learn about yourself in that writing process? I learned that there's power in being vulnerable. And by being vulnerable, we can connect with people on a different level, on a deeper level and creating meaningful relationships. I've learned to forgive. I've learned that we're more capable than we think we are. I would have never, if you would have talked to me even three years ago and said, you're going to own a business and you're going to be a speaker and you're going to have a book and you're going to have a podcast. I would say, are you talking, who are you talking to? 
No way. But we're more capable than we think. It's a beautiful journey if we embrace it and are willing to take the risks and be courageous. Because at the end of the day, it's the impact that we get to make on those around us. I love that. Amen to that. Well, Danielle, where can people connect with you? I always like to give an opportunity for that too. Obviously, people can get the book on your website, I would imagine. So tell us about that. Yes. So if they go to daniellecobo.com forward slash book, that's where they can go ahead and get the book. And then I also have a free resource that they can download, which is a free courageous goal setting guide. So it's steps that they can take to achieve courageous goals at my website. Well, I know, you know, you had mentioned earlier that you had been interviewed by a number of people, magazines, you've done yourself some hosting. Maybe today you're just a little nervous. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm misreading the room here. But there is one more place that they can get it. And that's this place called OPSpodcast.com slash books that I love. And it's going to be on there, featured on there as well. So I just wanted to let you know that we're going to put it on our website. So I hope that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Just checking. Nobody has said no to that, by the way. Nobody. Danielle, you've given us a lot of food for thought today. Shed some tears, which I feel mm -hmm. bad about. Not really, actually. But I feel like we need to do some silliness. How about you? You I'm have down two for boys. So being a boy mom, I bet you've done some silliness, some imaginations that you're like, why am I being a tiger right now? I don't know. Goals in life is to have my kids be happy, safe, and to embarrass them any chance I can get. I mean, I think that's the life goal of every parent, don't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we do this thing at the end of the show. It's called Senseless. It's the six random questions. And don't worry, you don't have to answer all six. And we we roll a die to to kind of help the, with the randomness. So being a big University of North Carolina fan, I know you're a diehard Tar Heels fan. You were telling me again that pre-flight, right? You you just embrace everything North Carolina, right? Uh-huh, uh sure. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't I didn't think so. Maybe Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, no, I don't know. No. You're probably no. No. Okay. Not, not even close. No. Not even close. Whoa. I am Southern California at heart. So you're you're are you a Trojan at heart? So I went to Cal State Fullerton. We didn't have oh. a football team. We had a Killer baseball team. We were I awesome was just going to say, team. you're an awesome baseball team. But right? I did root for USC because my best friend went there. Well, we do have a USC jersey in our rafters, as you can kind of see right there. Yeah. Good old Todd Marinovich. So, all right, here we go. So I'm going to roll for you because you're in Florida, still not in Oregon, as we say out here sometimes. Oregon, actually, is how, uh, how it's pronounced. So here we go. All right. Number five. Boop, 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 boop. Even the five. Even your blue. five is blue. I know. I told you. It's like a color scheme. It's amazing. All right. Number five is this. You find yourself in first class. Have you ever flown first class, by the way? Yes. I was a Diamond Delta member. Remember? Oh! I was 250 nights on the road. So, yes, I was what a Diamond Delta member. you're a member. Diamond Delta member. I have no idea about that. Oh, That's I awesome, though. was on a flight every Monday through Thursday. Oh, my gosh. For a year so, you're now. like a flying expert. Mm-hmm. They don't like okay. flying. But still a flying expert. All right. So you find yourself in first class, which isn't too uncommon for the Diamond Delta expert. The Diamond Club has you in first class. Maybe you, you know, you booked it or you got bumped. Who knows? I don't know. But you find yourself in first class sitting next to someone famous. Who would you want it to be? Ooh. Okay. So I saw... And it's only one person, by the way. I know there's usually like three seats, so it can't be like, you know, this person and this person. It's only <sighs> one. So there you go. 
Okay, well, I recently saw John Gordon speak at the Speakers Association Conference. He wrote the book, The Energy Bus, and he just endorsed my book. And I'd love to just follow up with him and have a conversation of what he thought of the book and also just to hear more of his perspective because he talks a lot about resiliency and a positive mindset. And I found when I saw him speak, just to be inspiring. So I'd love to have a conversation with him. I was thinking somebody I would know. I I don't know this guy. Now I got to go research him. He's a... He's written 15 books, I want to say, 15 books. He talks about positive leadership, talks about, he's got kids books too. So he talks about the principles of positive mindset, not only as adult, but then he transitions it into that can-do attitude for kids. Well, Danielle, thanks for hanging out with us today. I just want to say thank you so much for giving us some moments today. Really appreciate what you shared. Obviously, wish you great success with the book. Just want to say thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, guys and gals, kids and campers alike, hope your trade table is, again, in the upper right position. What are you taking away today as we disembark on this flight today from Tampa back down to Oregon or wherever you are? Do you have that grit that she's talking about? You know, I was on eBay, as I kind of said moments ago. I looked up grit. You can't... You can't buy it on eBay. So I thought, okay, well, cool. I'll jump over to our friends at Jeff Bezos and Amazon. So I tried to buy grit on Amazon, see if there was prime delivery. Yeah, it's not there either. Where can you buy it? Where can you get it? It's a great question to ask yourself. If you can't buy it there and you can't buy it there, where can you get it? Well, I think that's a question to ask yourself as we get out of here. Do you have it? Do you even want it? Are you good with Staying on the ground, looking up at everyone else's life, thinking one day, one day I'll be up there. Someday I'll get up there. It's going to happen one of these days. The next Monday from the following Monday, that's, Neil, that's when it's going to happen right there. I, I have it on the calendar. Okay, we'll stop it. Today's the day, right now. Find that grit. Let me know if you do that. OPSpodcast.com is a great place to let me know. You can let us know on the socials at OPS Podcast Show under Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. And don't forget this as we get out of here. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thanks for listening. And stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.